You are listening to The Powerful Creator Show with your host, Cheryl Sosnowski. If you can conceive it and believe it, you can achieve it. On today's episode, I interview Diane Halfman. Diane was an undercover cop for the San Diego Police Department where she experienced a unique perspective of life behind the scenes. She honed her fear and survival instincts and she knows what it takes to find your grit, perseverance, and power to push through any challenge. Diane took her years of experience, along with her master's in human resources management and certification as an ultimate game of life coach, to pioneer the creation of her own company called Spa Life, which stands for Seek Power Always, as featured in her podcast, Live Your Spa Life, a call to action for women to define and create the life they truly want. As the Reality Reset Specialist, Diane travels the country speaking, consulting, conducting workshops and seminars dedicated to helping overwhelmed women entrepreneurs move from a life of emergency to emergence. Okay, Diane, hello. Nice to see you. Hi, good to be here with you. I'm so excited to have you on the show. You are one of the most interesting people I've ever, (laughs) ever had the opportunity of meeting. So I'm really looking forward to having an amazing conversation with you. Ah, let's do it. (laughs) All right. So the first thing that I love to ask everybody when they come on the show is what being a powerful creator means to you. I love this question because for me, being a powerful, you know, creator is trusting my inner wisdom. And I think it is such an important thing to just listen to this inner knowing that we have. And I know for myself and for the leaders I work with, I think that's one of our biggest nemesis is second guessing ourselves and, and really not standing by our decisions. And I think being a powerful creator is really about listening to that inner wisdom and leaning into it. Hmm. I would love for you to elaborate a little bit more on um, the link between decision-making and trusting your inner wisdom. Yeah, absolutely. You know, sometimes we think of uh, making you know, decisions as being strictly knowledge-based, right? That you have all the facts and that you're adding up all the facts. And that's just looking at the mental aspect of making a decision. There's actually a, uh, you know, a, a physical feeling you can feel in your body, like you feel something in your gut. Uh, there can be a spiritual knowing. I mean, I think there's a difference between knowledge and knowing. And I think sometimes we discount the knowing. And I think when people don't listen to that knowing, those are usually the things that we regret the most because it's like, oh, I knew that and I didn't listen to that. Those inner you know, grumblings that can happen uh, really allow us to do that and to listen to you know, those emotional things as well. And so I think it's so important when making a decision that you actually come from this you know, head, heart, gut place where you're actually, you know, having that all aligned because if one is kind of giving you spiny senses in one direction, uh, if we don't listen to that, it tends to reveal itself later that we didn't consider all the things that, that, you know, we needed to do to make that decision. And that's not to delay the decision because that can be another aspect of second guessing yourself is taking too long to make a decision because making quick decisions is a sign of a good leader uh, to not get too stymied in too much of the detail. So it's this delicate balance, if you will, between listening to your intuition and being able to make quick decisions. I love that. I've never met anybody who said, I wish I didn't trust my intuition. (laughs) Right. Absolutely. (laughs) And I heard something the other day that ties into what you just said, which is that what the thing that fear loves the most is time and to not feed your fear any time. And you just said a, a strong leader is a person who makes decisions and they just go. Right. 
Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, Mel Robbins in, in her book about the five second rule talks about if you don't make those critical decisions uh, in, in five seconds, it starts the hesitation, then becomes the procrastination, and then there becomes the mindset that actually tears you down on the decision you make. So mm -hmm. each moment that we take not making the decision makes it more difficult to actually make one. Very interesting. So I want to use all of that that you've just said to tie in two things. So one is your background, which is super interesting, and how all of this has, I'm curious if this is something that you've shaped over time or how this functioned for you as a police officer. Ah, well, yes, absolutely. You know, I believe all of our life kind of adds up to our experience. It's what makes each of us unique. And that's why I'm really passionate about women not being in competition with each other, but being cooperative because each of our journey actually in and of itself makes us unique. And even though we may be talking on similar topics, it's unique because of our path. And so for me, I actually didn't talk that much about my police career for, for many years uh, because I was in the media and there were big cases and, you know, it just was a, a very, I don't want to say volatile, but just very, you know, emotional um, type work that was happening. And so one of the things I realized is that so much of my training and so much of being on the department, both in patrol and undercover, really had a lot of the skill sets that I use with my, my VIP clients and helping them in making those decisions in really trusting themselves and really looking at those kind of things. And for me, I utilize in particularly my undercover experience because one of the main reasons I went undercover in prostitution is because we were looking for a serial killer and he was targeting prostitutes. And so the, that is a time where I didn't have my gun, I didn't have my vest, I didn't have you know, my radio, all the tools that would help you think that you were feeling more safe. And so right. I had to rely more on that inner knowing and my awareness and being able to look at those things. And those are all tools that we can use in everyday aspects of our life. And so I really started honing into what were those specific skills that I built in, in my grit, in my perseverance, in my being, uh, where I really built, you know, really built this, this stand of where you could be fierce as a woman and stand in your power, because that's really what I help women with is standing in their power, but also being feminine. And for whatever that means to you to have that aspect, because you know, as women, we get to be all of the spectrum. And sometimes when we're in power, we, we discount the feminine. And if we're too much in the feminine, we sometimes, you know, second guess our power. And there can be a beautiful harmony between the both, which allows us to be fully who we are. Yeah, for sure. And I think that that is something that's super powerful about you. And I loved that story that you shared with us when I met you about your lip gloss and your gun, which made me I'm like, that is femininity and power right there, right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. I was definitely, known, well, because I was the only woman on my squad back then. And I was definitely known as the one who had my lipstick in my pocket of my uniform. And before we did a whole knock and talk on someone's door, I had to make sure my lipstick's on uh, because I felt good about that. That helped me feel confident. Uh, in that. And so it was something that was uniquely me. It also brought some levity to, you know, a tense situation and, right. you know, in police work in particular and in any work, really, we got to find where is the levity and the fun in order to do some of the more challenging things that we're here to do. So now you empower women to stand in their power and in their femininity, femininity. And I can see how you've taken your training and the instinctual training and the strength and how you didn't lose your femininity in such a masculine environment. 
So I would really love for you to talk about what you're doing now and what it really means to be a feminine woman in a position of power and how you embrace both of those aspects of yourself. Well, I love this because, you know, it reminds me of the quote by the Dalai Lama who talks about that the world is going to change with the Western woman. Right. And I think we've all heard that quote. And sometimes we think like, wow, I wonder what woman's going to do that. Like, I hope someone actually picks up the torch and actually makes that happen. And we forget that we are actually all leaders. We are actually born leaders. And it's something that someone's not going to actually designate to us. It's something that's a decision and that we actually have to decide on that and step into that role. And so one of the things that I think is so important um, for women, no matter what it is that you're doing, whether you are a formal leader of, of people in your business, you know, you could be leading your family, you could be leading a cause, you know, there's things that were happening, but in standing in that, we do it in our own particular way. And that's the beauty of femininity, because that actually means something differently. You know, for me, it can be, you know, lipstick in my earrings and, you know, having um, a softness to, uh, so I'm open that people can actually connect with me. I'm, you know, pretty much known that people will share their deepest secrets. And even when I worked undercover and I worked in gangs, people would share things with me because I have that aspect of who I am. Uh, but one of the things I did find out too, and I think this is you know, true for a lot of women is that we have a public life, the part that we actually show people. And then we have our private life with our family and maybe our friends. But I think we all have an aspect of us that's an undercover life, that part where we really don't want people to see, uh, maybe we feel we'll be judged for, or, you know, maybe it's not the best side of ourselves or something in that line. And so there's a difference, especially for women leaders, where you can be visible in the world, but still have a sense of feeling not really seen. And so it's really important in your journey as a leader to really see what are some of those things going on in your mind that make you feel that you're not the strong leader, that you're even, you know, I mean, some of my clients that I've worked with, they've got multi-million dollar companies and then all outsides look really great and they still can second guess their decisions on how it's going to roll out to their team and what those things look like. And so we all have that. And so it's so important to be able to identify them and stop them, um, you know, before they get further. So I'm not sure if there was another aspect in there that you wanted me to answer. No, that was beautiful. And I like, I, I like how you keep circling back to being decisive and, and how decision ties into being a strong leader, whether you're a male leader or a female leader. Right. So your specialty is definitely working with women, correct? It is. I do have male clients, uh, you know, they, uh, and I think that they're an important part of the equation, right? Because, you know, as we're stepping into, especially this time in, you know, the, you know, time's up and me too, and all the different things mm -hmm. that are coming up in corporate America, it's important to have, you know, the men be part of the conversation, right? And I love men. It's not about, you know, having them not be part of it. Right. Uh, I just think that focusing on the women to really allow them to show up with who they are and not be, not to have to feel like they're being apologetic of who they are being. And I think that as part of the Me Too movement, I think it's so great that the women are, you know, speaking up and what's happening and to be vocal, that's always a great thing. Uh, however, I do believe that there's a next step to that and that you don't stay in the victimhood because we've all had victim experiences, right. it's important not to identify yourself as a victim and that you're walking forward, you know, shifting that energy. How is it that you can actually see how you can actually leverage that, whether it's, you know, 
anger or um, you know, frustration or whatever the things are happening, how can you harness that energy and shift it into power for good? And so it's, for me, it's like the setting up to be like, not me. Like I'm setting a line, I'm setting a boundary about how I'm going to be in the world. And so I really help women to really look at, you know, what are their circumstances and how can they overcome them and actually utilize that as a tool to stand more in their power. Absolutely. Because the energy, like just the basis of the energy is the same. The energy is the energy. And it's what the story is that you feed it that gives that mode. It becomes the motivation and the driving force. Right. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. I would love to hear some tips that you give a woman in a position of leadership or whether, like you said, whether that position is being the leader of your family, being the leader of a Girl Scout troop. I think it doesn't matter. It's how you're showing up. And how do you make a decision? And, you know, the, the, the definition of the word decision is to cut off, that you have cut off all of the other options. You've made a decision. So how do you help women and men, for that matter, make a decision and stay with that decision and stand firm and confident in the choice that they've made. Right. Great question because you know, that's going to differ for a lot of people. And typically what happens is that I meet with executive teams because a lot of times the leader isn't necessarily making a decision in and of themselves. They're relying on the people that they are delegating information to. And so when I'm there as part of executive you know, training, whether that's in person or, or zoom, they're really having all the information brought to them. So they're not making a blind decision uh, and they're having all the information brought forth to them. And so what's important to know is that they're making the best decision based on all the information they have in the moment and what that looks like. You know, there's other type trainings where, you know, we look at having what's the quarter goal and what's the you know annual goal. And we, right. we look at the big picture, you know, you and I've just done some training about looking at, you know, macro versus, you know, micro things. Mm-hmm. You, know, you can look at the macro, you know, goals and things that you're doing. And then you're really relying on breaking down, down those micros of those micro things that you activities to be doing, to be moving forward. And I think what's important to know as a leader is that not every decision is going to be like the end all be all that most things can be shifted, but you actually need to make that decision so that you can actually make subsequent decisions. It's like the analogy of a GPS, you know, unless you actually move, it's not going to give you directions. So by you actually making a, you know, a stake in the ground and making a decision and the team can move forward on it, then you're going to have more information to then make that next decision. Absolutely. And I, one of the things that I think is really interesting when you start making decisions and you become really conscious of making a decision and following that path is that so often unexpected doors and paths will open up. And so how, when you get to that intersection, let's say you've made a decision and you're headed down a direction and it's your, your results are just meh. So how do you get to that fork in the road and you say, okay, now this path is opened up and this path is opened up. How do you, it's just, it's, it's just, so it seems like it's a, a matter of constant decision-making. So how do you advise people to make decisions? Right. So first of all, we kind of back up and look at, you know, what's the culture of the company? Like, what are your values? Like, what are you actually making decisions on? Right. And so when you know your corporate, your corporate culture and you know what you stand for, you utilize that as a guideline in actually making your calls on what it is that you're making a decision on. And so when you always have that as kind of the, the guidelines to look at, then it's much easier to make some of those decisions. And so, you know, you've got your corporate guidelines. But then you also have your personal guidelines. And so I know a lot of times for 
for entrepreneurs and also for smaller businesses, sometimes there is, you know, an intersection between their personal values and their company values. And so a lot of times it's your personal values that led you into your business. And so you don't throw those out. Those are the barometers that you're actually using to make a decision. And so if the decision coming up doesn't line up with what that value is for you, because you're a leader of the corporate, you know, structure and the culture that you want to create with that. And so when you have that to weigh against it, you're going to be more in alignment with what it is that you're doing and what that looks like. And so one of the tools that I love using uh, only, not only for people in their personal life, but also in their business is to have one of the wall calendars. I love this tool where you've got the wall calendar, which is the ones where you can erase and write on because when you actually can see the full picture of the year and you can actually put in what are some of the things you actually value? Because sometimes someone will say something like, I value time with family, but yet that doesn't get put on there, right? And we all know in different times of businesses because of the cycles of business that there's times where let's say Q2 is just, you know, he, you know everything's all hands on deck. There's a lot happening. But then if you know in Q3, you've designated some time for some recovery, I'm not looking for balance. I'm just looking for some harmony where you can actually catch your breath and you can actually enjoy the things that you say that you want to enjoy. And that's how a leader has sustainability is that they know when to push and, and have it happen. And they also know when to have recovery. And when you have that wall calendar and you see the big picture, when you're in kind of the, the biggest kind of promotions, when you can kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel, then it's much easier not only to make those decisions, but also have the sustainability to be in it for the long haul. Wow, that's powerful. And I, I really, what struck me in everything that you just said was the difference between balance and creating harmony. Because I think, sometimes I feel like that whole idea of creating balance is a misnomer and it's setting us up to fall. <laughs> Absolutely, you know, and that's the thing is we really want to look at, you know, what are the things that we're creating that actually allow us to succeed and that we feel like we're having the wins that we're having. Uh, one of the things I also talk about with uh, my leaders is that, you know, you do not want to have a list of 20 things to do in a day. You know, that will just set you up to fail because you know you're not going to do it. Even if you got 19 done, that one that you have left is still going to just, you know, piss you off and it's going to make you feel like a failure and you didn't get done what you wanted to get done. So it's much better to have like one to three things that you're like, I'm absolutely getting this done. You know when it's going to get done. And then you've created the space to actually do something else, like to have something else happen. And that feels like you've actually gained more time. So really creating the environment that allows you to succeed. Mm, setting yourself up for success. Yes, absolutely. I'm curious, and I would really like to know, you know, when as a person who loves leadership, and I, I read a lot of leadership books and study leadership, there are so many different definitions of leadership and what leadership is. So I'm curious about what your definition of leadership is and what a, a powerful, good leader looks like to you. Mm. Well, you know, I believe that everyone's a leader. I actually do. And it's just a choice whether or not people step into that and have that happen. And I feel like some of the qualities of a leader is that someone is, knows exactly what they stand for and they are willing to lead other people to you know, set the, the goals forth that they have, to actually 
set their mission that they want to have. And it doesn't have to be necessarily in their business. I mean, if someone has, you know, a mission that they want to have a neighborhood garden, right. And that they're powerful, you know, they, they have a whole big why around that. It's more about why they're doing those things. And when you can see when someone's passionate about why they're doing, that's a leader you want to follow because they have that charisma and that energy that you're like, whatever they're doing, I want to do it. Because how many times have we had experiences where someone maybe hasn't even met us yet, right? Maybe they saw us across the room and there was something about your energy that they're like, I don't know what that person does, but I either want to work with them or I want to spend time with them. And that's also part of making that quick decision is that, you know, when somebody's on fire as a leader moving forward. Absolutely. That you're right. It is an energy and it's a, it's a being, it's a beingness. Totally. Like you said, it's like being it and stepping into it and that everybody is a leadership is a leader and it's standing in. So it sounds to me like you're saying that a leader, since everybody's a leader, that being a leader really means owning who you are and standing in what matters to you. Is that correct? Absolutely. I absolutely think that. I mean, I work with, you know, a lot of people who are, have the title of leader and they have that in there. Uh, and I do hone that in with them. And that's what I do a lot of, you know, my keynote speaking and my trainings and things with that. However, I do speak to the, the entrepreneurs and, you know, the, the family members who are really standing into that leadership of who they are, because the more people that claim their leadership, just think about, you know, the people that we're surrounding ourselves with who are stepping into that, because really the only thing that we can, you know, move forward on is taking that hundred percent responsibility for ourself and our experience and what that looks like. And only leaders take that responsibility for themselves. They're not blaming other people. They're actually moving forward with something. That's the kind of cultivation we want to have in our children and our people in our communities is people taking that responsibility and really, you know, creating the things that, that they're here to do, which is one of the things I love about what you're up to about helping people create, right. And bringing creativity into the space, because when you put yourself into a creative space, you are looking outside of the box. Mm -hmm. You are seeing things in a way that other people don't see them. And you can actually make better decisions because you've allowed yourself that space to be creative. Yeah. It's possibility thinking. And it's not ever that something can't happen. It's Everything is possible. I really believe everything is possible. And if you ask enough questions and tie it with curiosity, that doors will open up and things will unfold and you meet people and opportunities present themselves. And yeah, absolutely. Well, and you know, and leaders actually don't uh, identify with failure. Like they don't use the word failure because one of the things that happens with that, like I know like Thomas Edison, a lot of people asked him because of how many times it took him for the light bulb, you know, oh, it seemed like you failed all these times before you got it. His response on that was always, you know, I didn't fail. I found many different ways uh, that that wasn't adding up to what this was. So those were actually success because I found all these successful ways of it not working with this, right? And so when you look at it a different way, and if you start looking at your mindset as well of like, you know, it, it always works out for me, like having the positivity, right, that, that happens around what we're doing. And if you say, Hey, it always works out for me in the end. And if it hasn't worked out yet, it's not the end. Absolutely. And it will work out because everything always does work out. Right. Right. I absolutely believe that. And when you said that, um, the Thomas Edison quote, it made me think of something I read about um, Sarah Blakely, the founder of Spanx that she said when she was young, her parents, her dad at the dinner table, when they would sit down, he would ask them what they failed at that day. And I love instilling that sense of failing is trying and it's not 
you need to fail. You need to have lots right. of failures before you're yeah. going to succeed. Yeah, and in I, fact, I heard another thing about golfers too, that they expect yeah. to fail a certain amount. And then they, they go, that was the failed shot moving on now. Right. Absolutely. You know, I met her at uh, a conference a couple of years ago and she would talk about that. That's all they were allowed to talk about at the dinner table was how her and her brother failed every day. And if they hadn't failed, they had to go out and find something to fail. Like that was a daily requirement in their family was to actually fail. And uh, what an, a, you know, a paradigm shift, right? In a family to have so much openness to see, you know, because it, it looks, you've had to look to so many different possibilities. I mean, can you imagine if you were like having success, 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 right? And then yeah you know, it would maybe be harder to find a failure, right? Because it's so open. There's nothing negative about actually experiencing that and having it happen. Absolutely. And I think that that is a form of leadership that you have to be willing, you have to be willing to be the one to say, if this fails, it's on me and that's okay. Right. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's a bravery, bravery quotient to that. So I'm curious as to, you know, why did you transition into this form of work? What is your why? So my why is, well, first of all, when I was in the police department, I actually was in a training accident. So I actually medicaled out from the department. So I had a, you know, life-changing shift in terms of, you know, here I am on a path doing what I'm doing, right? And got completely diverted. And so one of the things that I did when I first left the department is I actually created an online academy called Clutter to Calm. And that was because I... I created something called the clutter to drama ratio from all the homes I had been in on the police department mm. that the homes that had the most clutter in them had the most drama. The police would get called, things weren't working, all these things were happening. So when I retired and people knew that I was helping people with their space, because part of standing in your power is looking at your environment and how it is serving you or it's taking your energy away. Um, you'd probably love this. I came up with something called the, um, the creativity craves clarity so oh, that, you know, if you don't have clarity in your space or your mind, it's challenging to actually be creative and to be able to look at that. And so because I was undercover for so long, I realized as I was transitioning out that I was actually being undercover in a lot of different areas, sometimes in my relationships, sometimes just in public, even though I could be visible, I wasn't necessarily seen and it didn't always feel safe to actually step forward in who I was being. And so really when I sat with that, I realized that, uh, you know, I needed to listen more to my own intuition and my own knowingness. And that my big why is that I'm here to be a lighthouse, right? That a lighthouse is that, that wisdom and that energy and everything in, in us that we have. It's like, we're not looking outside of ourselves for that. And I think that when I really started looking at that and why I was so drawn to empower women, um, particularly is to get them out of emergency mode. Like, you know, I was every day, literally in emergency mode with 911, but so many people live their life in emergency mode every single day. They're making everything an emergency. It's affecting their health. It's affecting their relationships. It's affecting their effectiveness to actually be a great leader. And so one of my biggest passions and why I do this is to help women emerge into being more themselves, to actually have that foundation of real standing in their power. And when they have that foundation, they can actually have more of that harmony. They can actually have more of the life that they want. They can start looking at what that is. And, you know, if we are, and not if, but as we are having women step more into leadership to shift and change the world, they're going to have to change some of the way that they're being 
right? That they can't have this, you know, busyness, craziness that's happening, that they actually have to be more centered, choose fewer things that they're focused on so they can actually have that completion and give themselves that space to actually enjoy the flow of their life. And that's part of what I call being fierce and feminine at the same time together, because we want to be both. And so I'm super passionate about women having the expression to be able to be both. Oh my gosh, Diane. I can't believe it's already almost time up. We, this time has flown by. You are such an interesting person and you are both fierce and feminine. You are strong, you are confident, and your energy just radiates not only strength and confidence, but also a femininity that's, that's kind of nurturing and not in a molly coddling way, but in a way that you really care about people. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate the work that you're doing in the world. And I would love for you to tell people where they can find you, where they can hear you, what kind of courses you have going on. Tell us about Diane. Oh, thank you. Well, everyone can go to my website at dianehaffman.com. And uh, I'm sure you'll have that in your links that people will be able to get to and find there. Uh, But one of the things I also love to give uh, my clients and as a free gift to the guests listening for being here patiently through our, our discussion together is I have a life reset quiz. And I created that because it's something that takes only a couple moments because awareness is so important. You know, we can't make shifts or change, stand into our power or leadership if we don't know where we are at. And so I have the liferesetquiz.com. It literally takes two minutes. You get results back right away and it allows you what's going on in your mindset, what's happening in your physical space. Are you taking care of yourself? When you have those markers and you know where you're at, then you have the, the tools to be able to do something different about it. And not to just look at what's wrong, right? You want to look at what's right, what's working for you, what have you nailed and what's really doing well, and then what are just some tweaks that you need to have. Those are some of the simple tools that we can have to really support us in doing that. Um, you know, I also have my, my podcast as well for people to come check me out there at the Live Your Spa Life. I'd love for you guys to you know, go on there and subscribe and, and, you know, rate and review and all that good stuff, because this is how we build community. And this is one of the things I love about you doing your podcast here is when we have these discussions together, we expand thought, we really, you know, get people to start thinking outside of the box. And so we want to share these things. And so when you guys are listening to your podcast, whether it's in your car or at the gym or wherever you're listening to it, you know, subscribe and share because we want to have more of this in the world because these are the things that will make the biggest change. Absolutely. Getting out of that victim mode and standing in your own power, taking responsibility for your life. And as you put it so eloquently, and I'm going to reframe it is looking at yourself as the leader of your own life. And that's a powerful place to be. Absolutely. Right. And thank you for being here. Thank you. And taking the time. I really appreciate it. Really appreciate talking to you and just the wisdom that you have to share with women and men. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks, Diane. Bye for now. You've been listening to The Powerful Creator Show. If you like what you've heard, you can subscribe on iTunes or go to thepowerfulcreatorshow.com and join our email list so you never miss a future episode. I hope you have a powerfully creative day. 